It is my joy to welcome you to today's podcast. Our prayer is that the Lord will minister to you in a special way during our time together. Uh, Before we get into the word today, let's just bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we just want to thank you. Thank you, Lord, for we know that that it is you who stir our hearts and spirit, Lord. And the worship team prepares us, Lord, to receive your word. Father, even as we get into the word, Lord, I do not know with what needs people have walked into this sanctuary, but you know it, Lord, and I pray that you minister to them. Father, I pray that let your Holy Spirit, Lord, speak to them, Lord. Father, I pray that we need your wisdom to reveal your word and your treasures which are hidden in your word, God. And Father, we need the Holy Spirit to cement those words in our spirit. I pray that you minister and you speak. I confess my inadequacies and my shortcomings as I stand here, Lord. And yet depend on you with just one desire to glorify your name, that you be exalted. You increase and we decrease, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Two days from now, we are going to be witnessing the Republic Day. And in Republic Day, you generally have the Republic Day Parade. And in that parade, you will witness and see several contingents which are marching. Now, they may be from the paramilitary forces. They may be from the army, different regiments, from the Air Force, from the Navy. And also, you have the cultural programs which are represented by different states. So every state is proud of their culture and heritage, and they present those programs during the parade. But there is one thing which is unique about that parade, that it is also a display of some of the strategic weapons which are held by us as a country. You may see in the parade that they may show the surface-to-surface missiles, which are the Prithvi missiles, which can take on a target up to a range of about 300 kilometers. Also, sometimes they may display the model of an Agni missile, which is equivalent to the intercontinental ballistic missiles, so-called which we heard during the Cold War era with the Soviets and the US, and also maybe the light combat aircraft, which is being indigenously developed by DRDO at HAL Bangalore. Now, these strategic weapons are weapons just by your holding those weapons and by putting them at the right time in the right place or even exhibiting them to the enemy can put your troops at a place of advantage in a combat situations, whether you are defensive or you are on the offensive. Now, I want to take the same analogy which I have spoken to you about the Republic Day onto the Word of God. The Bible speaks to us in the book of Ephesians chapter 6 that our fight is not against the flesh and blood, but it is against the principalities of darkness and the forces of darkness. Hence, when you and me accept Christ in our lives, when you and me start reflecting the image of Christ, when you and me become the light of the world, which we display on 31st December when we stood here and switched on our mobile phones, well, we are always in struggle 
with the forces of darkness which wants to consume us and which wants to extinguish that light. Now the word of God has several promises, something like the contingents marching, something like the cultural items, but the word of God also have certain strategic truths. And if we as Christians embrace and understand those strategic truths in our life, that can help us to put away the forces of darkness, that can help us in our Christian walk to be victorious, that can help us in our Christian walk to be men and women who are always abounding in the joy of the Lord. With that as a backdrop, what I'm going to be sharing with you today in my message will be three such strategic truths from the word of God. I will explain those truths and pray and believe that the Holy Spirit will help you understand them. Let's get to the first strategic truth. And as I speak it, I will speak it a couple of times and make you repeat it. It's not my righteousness, but my identity that matters. Come on, say with me. It's not my righteousness, but my identity that matters. As I take upon the first strategic truth, I'm going to expound on two words which are given in here. The first word is righteousness, and the second word is identity. Now, when we look at the word righteousness, and we form as Christians our own perception of the word righteousness. So if I take a blank piece of paper, and I circulate amongst you all, and ask you, well, Give out your perspective of what you feel about being a righteous person and then evaluate yourself whether you are righteous or not. I will run with you some of the thoughts which may come across your mind. You may think, I get up at six o'clock in the morning, so I'm righteous. Because in my mind, I think people who get up after nine are semi-righteous and people who get up after noon are definitely bound to go to hell. That's our perception. And then you think, okay, when I get up at 6, the first thing I do at 6.30 is I open my Bible and read. Lord, my eyes may be closing, Lord, but I still try and read three to four chapters because pastors have said so, so I am righteous. And then what else? You know, I never shout in the house. I am always very, very docile. My voice is so soft-spoken, so I am righteous. Lord, when I am on the road and driving a car and somebody just brushes past my car, Lord, Lord, I am about to abuse but then I saw a sticker at the back of his screen, Jesus loves you, and I said, God bless you. So I am righteous. So, you know, I define my own ways of, of being righteous, and, and there is always an effort on my side that I want to perform and try and perform and make God happy. Now, if, if I today start thinking like this as righteousness, this is the type of righteousness which comes from the law because even Pharisees did this. Pharisees loved standing in the marketplaces and praying. Pharisees loved fasting. Pharisees loved obeying all the traditions and the laws. And they were all supposed to be righteous in their own perspective. But Jesus sets the right context in Matthew chapter 5 and when he gives out the B attitudes and when he gives out these B attitudes there are eight of the B attitudes which he gives that's the first appearance of Christ in public 
I want to tell you, church, we all remember the first appearance of heroes in Bollywood. You know, if today I ask you, you know, what was the first appearance of Hithik Roshan, son of Rajesh Roshan, everybody will raise their hand and say, Kahona Pyar Hai. Right? But when it comes to the first appearance of Christ, and if I ask you what was that, oh, well, you know, we struggle. But let me tell you, the first public appearance of Christ was in Matthew chapter 5, when he stands on the, and, and he gives a sermon on the mount, and he begins with Beatitudes, and he says, blessed are those who are poor. Then he brings out, blessed are those who mourn. Then he brings out, blessed are those who are meek. And then he come to the fourth B attitude where he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Then he comes to the fifth B attitude where he speaks about mercy. Six speaks about purity of heart. Seven speaks about being peacemaker. Then gets to the eighth B attitude where he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. I want to tell you, church, in his eight B attitudes, there are two phrases which he uses twice. In the first one, he says, blessed are those who are poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And in the last one, again, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And the second thing which he uses twice is the word righteousness, where he speaks in the fourth beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And in the last beatitude, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Now, we as Christians sometimes form our own perception about, about righteousness. And we take that perception from the law. We take that perception from the culture to which we belong. And we start ticking. We try to please God by our performance. And I want to tell you, church, it's not about our performance, but it's about our identity. It's not about our self-righteousness, but about our identity. Let's look at Gospel of Matthew Chapter 5, verse 20, where Jesus makes a dramatic statement. He says, unless your righteousness surpasses the righteousness of Pharisees and the scribes, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Now imagine a Christian like me will think, your Pharisees, scribes ki righteousness to puri hoti nahi, ab ab level aur bada rahe ho prabhu, to heaven to khali raha jayega. You know, Lord, I am unable to do even that little things what Pharisees and scribes do. And you want to increase the level of righteousness by speaking in verse 20. And Jesus not only speaks verse 20, he gives six examples of how your righteousness has to surpass the righteousness of Pharisees and scribes. The first example he gives, he says, it is written that you will not murder, but I want to tell you, that do not be angry, because when you murder, you will be judged. But I will tell you, when you are angry at somebody, you will again be judged. And Jesus makes another statement. He says, even if you tell another person, you fool, you will be judged even for that. Now let's look at our own lives. You can't understand this. That means for every time when I say this word, I will be judged. I am not speaking this. Christ is speaking this. The second example he gives there is about, uh, about adultery and lust. He says, it is written that you shall not commit adultery. But I want to tell you that even if you look at a woman with lustful eyes, it is as good as you're committing adultery. And then he speaks about if your eye makes you sin, take out your eye. If your hand makes you sin, take out your hand. 
Then he comes to the third level or the third example of righteousness where he says, it's written that you can give a certificate of divorce, but I want to tell you that if you divorce, you are actually committing adultery if you get married to a woman who is divorced and you are actually making that woman get into adultery if you are divorcing a woman. Then he comes to the fourth level of righteousness, not fourth level, but fourth example of righteousness. He says, well, it is written that you take your oath and you fulfill your oath, but I want to give you a little higher level where I say you don't have to take any oath at all. You don't have to take an oath on anybody's head because you have no power either to add a hair or to remove a hair from there. And, and, he, and he ends it up there. Then he comes to the fifth one which is more important, and I want you to listen to this. It speaks in the fifth one. He says, well, it is, it is written that an eye for an eye and a hand for an hand, but I want to tell you, if somebody slaps you on one cheek, you present your other cheek. He doesn't stop there. He goes ahead. If somebody asks you for a tunic, you give your cloak also to him. He goes further ahead. He says, if somebody asks you to walk for a mile, you walk two miles with him. He goes further ahead. If somebody begs you for money, you give it to him. He goes further ahead. If somebody asks you to borrow money from you, you give it to him. So look at what he's speaking on retaliation. And he's saying, what is written to itna hai? And then he gives out the last one. And he speaks in the last one. He says, it is written that you love your neighbors, but I want to tell you that you ought to love your enemies. You need to bless those and pray for those who persecute you. So if you look at Matthew chapter 5, and I want you to study that, it speaks about the Beatitudes, where he's speaking about righteousness twice. Then in verse 20, he says, your righteousness has to surpass the righteousness of scribes and Pharisees. And then he gives six comparisons of what scribes and Pharisees do and what Christ expects us to do. Now, if I am as a Christian reading Matthew chapter 5, I'll say, bhaiya, heaven to aana bahut mushkil hai. It is very difficult to get into heaven because it is difficult to do even what scribes and Pharisees do and Christ's expectations is much, 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 much higher. But I want to give you the good news. Why is Bible called the good news? Why do we call it Susamachar? Because now Paul makes his entry in the book of Romans chapter 1 and he puts it in verse 16 and he makes this statement in verse 16. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God and salvation for all. Come on, say with me, salvation for all, for the Jews and for the Greeks, for through it comes God's righteousness. From through it comes God's righteousness from faith to faith. And then it says, the righteous shall live by faith. So what is Paul saying? Paul is saying, well, Christ has set the standards himself, but he is giving you the answer to those standards by speaking that by the work of Christ on the cross, there is his righteousness which comes out from there. And that righteousness is called God's righteousness, which he spells out for the first time in Romans 1 verse 16. Now he gets across to Romans 3, verse 21, and he makes a statement that 
This righteousness, God's righteousness, which is manifested, is apart from the law. And the law and the prophets bear witness to this. And this righteousness you receive through your faith in Christ by all who believe. Now, when you read and meditate on verse 21, it speaks about this righteousness is apart from the law. That means Paul is trying to bring out very clearly there is some righteousness which emanate or comes out from the law and there is a righteousness which comes out from the cross by the work what Christ has done and the righteousness which comes out from the cross what Christ has accomplished on the cross is called as imputed righteousness. Come on, say with me, imputed righteousness. Come on, say it loud. Imputed righteousness. That means that's the complete work of Christ. Imputed righteousness, which is available to me. How? By my faith in Christ. By whom all? By all who believe. So now as a Christian, I have an option. Either I go to a stall of righteousness through law and I keep trying to improve my performance to please God or I get across to the cross and take with me what is given in the book of Romans 1.16 and Romans 3.21 and 22 and I say, Lord, I don't have that righteousness, but you have it, God. And that's called your righteousness, Lord. And your word says, God, that when I put my trust in you, that when I believe you, when I put my faith in you, Lord, Lord, that righteousness is transferred to me, Master. And to further reinforce what I'm saying, I will take you to the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verse 21, where Paul is making a very, very profound statement and he says, I am not here to nullify the grace, but if righteousness has to come from the law, then Christ died for no purpose. I want you to go and read this verse. It speaks out so beautifully that if I have to go to the stall of righteousness through law, then Christ died for nothing. And then if you come across to 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, it says, for our sake, again Paul is speaking this, for our sake, he who knew no sin, Christ who did not know any sin, became sin for us so that we can become God's righteousness. So on the cross, there was an exchange which took place and that exchange was an exchange where he took my sin upon himself and in exchange of my sin, he gave me his righteousness and that righteousness is called as imputed righteousness. When Jesus speaks that his levels are high, he says, well, I have made the levels high, but in order to, in in order for you to meet that level, my son has paid the cost and he gives you his robe of righteousness and says you can get through the heaven because salvation is for all, for all those who believe and that's the good news. That's the strategic weapon which we have to understand as Christian, the strategic truth in the Bible. That Lord, I am not there for performance, Lord, and performance and performance, and I keep getting discouraged, but the first thing I do is I receive your righteousness, God. I want to tell you, church, sometimes it's important for us to just sit in his presence and receive from Christ. 
Sometimes moment we become Christians, we get on a racetrack, 100 meter sprint and then 200 meter sprint and then 400 meter sprint. No, it's not about sprinting as Christians. Life is a marathon. Sometimes you need to just sit in the presence of God and receive. Receive his love. Lord, I want to receive your love. Lord, I want to receive your mercy. Lord, I want to receive your forgiveness. Lord, I want to receive all the goodness which you have within you, God. I just want to sit in your presence. And I want to tell you when you understand this truth that you receive from God and when God fills you, can then you become a blessing to others. It's not the other way around that I perform and become a blessing to others. So the Bible speaks about something which is called as imputed righteousness, which I have not earned it, but I have received it. How I have received it? Simply by putting my trust in Jesus Christ. How I have received it? By just saying, Lord, I trust you and I put my faith in you, God. Lord, salvation is for all those who believe, for all those who walk from faith to faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Abraham was not a perfect man, but the Bible says that God credited his righteousness to him because he believed. You know, when we look at Abraham, sometimes we think all the good things about Abraham, you know, in Genesis 22, he took his son, he got everybody circumcised on, on getting the command from the Lord. You know, he left his home and started walking. Those are all the pluses, but Abraham had his follies. Twice his passport was confiscated when he said Sarah is his sister. You know, he, he, he accumulated wealth on the pretext that Sarah is his sister from the kings of Egypt. I'm not speaking this. The Bible is speaking this. So he was a man having his own strengths. He was a man having his own weaknesses. But Bible says, because he believed, righteousness was credited to him. And right from that time till the New Testament, when Christ says, because you believe, that righteousness gets credited to you and that received that righteousness. Now, if that is imputed righteousness, then what is Christ speaking in the beatitude when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied. What Christ is trying to speak to us is, well, when you receive your imputed righteousness, stand before God and say, Lord, I want to be like you, Father. I'm much, much away, much, much distance. There is a lot of gap in the way in which I can be like you, Lord, but I hunger and thirst to be like you, Lord. Lord, I want to speak things the way you speak, God. I want to act the way you acted, God. Lord, I may not be there today, but I believe that you are still working on me. Lord, I know that you have not yet finished with me. Lord, I know that you see a masterpiece in me. Lord, I know that you have chosen me with a purpose and someday you will accomplish and fulfill that purpose. Lord, I know the work you began in me will come to an end, God. And Lord, I will continue to thirst and hunger for that righteousness. So when you speak, in the, when, you, when you read in the Beatitudes, the fourth one, what Christ is speaking is something of imparted righteousness. Imparted righteousness is after I receive the imputed righteousness, I thirst and hunger to be like Christ. I thirst and hunger to become like him. But many Christians do not understand the difference in imputed, imparted. And even if they understand, they want to get to the law to try to get the righteousness from there. And this is the strategic truth. First component 
It is not your righteousness which comes from the law that can deter the enemy, but it is God's righteousness when you take upon yourself and you thirst and hunger to be like him. It is that what will deter the enemy. Let's look at the second component of the first strategic truth, which says, it's my identity. And it's not about, uh, it's not about righteousness, but it's about identity. Now, what about identity? I want you, church, if you look into the book of Ephesians chapter 1, and, and God actually speaks to you about your identity, there are four things which it brings out to you in Ephesians chapter 1. It speaks out there. He says, even before the foundations of the earth, he says I, that, 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 we, that you have been adopted as sons of God. And then the second thing it brings out is it says in him you have the forgiveness of sins. And then it brings out the third thing. In Ephesians 1 verse 11 it says in him you have an inheritance. Who has an inheritance? Unless you are a child you don't get an inheritance. And then further down it says as you dwell and meditate on the truths which are given in the word of God. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you, church, if you read in the book of Galatians 4 and read from verse 7 onwards, it is one of the marvelous verses, and I'll just, I'll just, I'll just share this out to you. It speaks, it says, it says, when the fulfillment of time had come, through a woman, God bore his son, and then listen to it, it says, God bore his son under the law, so that he can redeem others from the law, and give you the adoption give you the spirit of adoption to be called as sons of God, to be called as children of God. What is your identity? I may have name which I may carry with me, but my identity when I surrendered my life to Christ is that I'm his child. My identity is that I'm precious in his sight. My identity is that I'm the apple of his eye. My identity is that I'm engraved on the palm of his hand. My identity is that my God cares for me. And I want to tell you church, when you understand this identity as to who you are in Christ, it will give you a different dimension of the strengthening of your spirit within you. It's not my righteousness, but it's imputed righteousness. It's not as to who I am from an earthly perspective, but it's what's my identity in the godly perspective. When you read in Romans, Romans chapter 8, which is again a gold mine of verses, and you read through verse 14, it speaks, it speaks on verse, all those who are led by the Spirit are called the children of God. And it says, the Spirit gives witness, beareth witness to the Spirit, and you call him Abba, Father. And then it goes on to say, you are co-heirs with Christ. There are several and several promises which are given in the word of God, which speaks about our identity in Christ. As Christians, when we stand up, when we leave every day, we need to be conscious of the fact as to who we are. We need to be conscious of the fact every day when I wear my coat and suit, I say, I'm conscious, God, that this may be some cloth, but I wear the robe of your righteousness, God. Lord, I carry in me a hunger and thirst to be like you, Master. And Lord, I know what my identity is. That's the strategic truth from the word of God which we need to understand as believers. Let's get into the second strategic truth which I want to bring out to you. And that is, it is not 
what you see but it is what god says come on repeat with me it is not what you see but it is what god says when you read in the when you read in the gospel of mark chapter 11 and you start from verse 12 onwards it's a story of a fig tree and when you read the story of the fig tree the story goes like this that jesus looks at the fig tree does not find fruit there and i want to tell you it's also given in the bible it says it was not the season for fruit so in fact when i was having this study in my house this was one of the questions which which binder asked me and she said well if it's not the season of fruit why did christ curse that tree and i'll give you the answer to this as to why it happened and as you go forward christ cursed that tree and christ moved on christ gets into a temple there are a whole lot of you know business happening in temples christ get angry christ waits everyone away and then they go and rest somewhere and next morning they are again walking and they pass by that fig tree and the disciples of christ talk to one another are yaar listen to the tree you know yesterday christ spoke and the tree has dried but it doesn't say that the tree has dried it says tree has dried from its roots i want you to underline the word dried from its roots now when you meditate on this very instance which happened in the word of god and you compare with several other instances which happened with christ when christ saw a man with a withered hand on the day of the sabbath he called that man in the center and he restored his hand it did not take time for that hand to get restored when christ was in the middle of storm in the boat christ just spoke the word that be calm and the storm was calm but in this particular case it happened yesterday when christ cursed the tree but nothing happened to the leaves that day but the next day when disciples were walking through that they saw that the tree leaves have dried and they say the word that the tree leaves have dried from the roots well i want to tell you the reason well when christ speaks into your life you cannot see what is happening in the roots but the work and the miracle started happening what your eyes could not see it got manifested after 24 hours doesn't matter sometimes we want to see instant miracles in our lives but when a man of god prays for you when his word is spoken into your life when the lord speaks to you through his promise i want to assure you church that the miracle start happening right then it starts happening in the roots it is not something which i have to see with my eyes to believe christ but i believe what god says and i don't believe what my eyes tell me i want to tell you church that this instance when christ was teaching was trying to drive us this very lesson because the very next thing what christ speaks is have faith and the very next thing was christ speaks is if you ask this mountain to move away it will do so christ is not trying to get into whether it was season for tree to bear fruit or not season for tree to bear fruit he was trying to drive an example that look when i speak a word into your life when there is a promise which comes into your life hold on to that promise don't give up on that promise because if god has said it he will do it he will accomplish it he will fulfill it what he has begun he will not leave it incomplete because he is a god who loves you he is a god who calls you by your name let's look at some more examples of seeing by eyes and what god says 
Let's look into the book of Joshua chapter 6. It's a famous story on, 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 on how the wall of Jericho came down. But when you see this example, Joshua has given instructions. It says, six days, you will go around the city of Jericho one time. Then it says, seventh day, you will go around the city of Jericho seven times. Now, when you do the seven time, blow the trumpets, make a shout, and the walls will crumble. Now you imagine Joshua is taking 40,000 of his soldiers very first day, and you are one of the soldiers. Won't this murmuring happen today if pastor tells you, all right, you know, we are going to go for a prayer walk on 26, and we'll go around the sectariat six times. Right? Many of you will say, Pastor, why are you doing Pastor, if God if God has to do it, he may do it in the first time. You know, I thought, let me try and dig more into the commentaries. Maybe after the first round, there were some cracks in the wall. Maybe after the second round, one part of the wall gave in. Maybe after the third round, some stones started falling down. But nothing like this happened. Six days, they just walked around the wall. But on the seventh day, when they finished the seventh round, the wall, which was like an obstacle to them, became the stepping stone for the army to get into the city of Jericho and destroy everything except Rahab and her family. If Joshua would have, if Joshua would have seen with his eyes and not believed God, Perhaps that victory was not possible. The victory comes when we listen to what God says and we refuse to see what our eyes tell us. Let's look into another example. In the book of 2 Kings chapter 5, it speaks about Naman, who is an army commander. And a small slave girl gives a suggestion to his wife that, you, that the master should go to Israel and visit Elisha. So Naman gets a letter for the king of Israel and gets to meet Elisha. When the king opens the letter, the king says, Harayar, if he wanted to fight, let him fight. Who am I to treat leprosy? Do I have a hospital in my, in my kingdom which is, which is meant for skin care? I have no dermatologist. I have nobody here. It is a reason for fight. But finally, when Naman gets to Elisha, and Elisha is a very unique prophet. He does not believe in protocols. And Naman gets furious. And he ought to get furious because he's an army commander. He's come with his full chariots and everything. But doesn't matter to Elisha. One of the sermons tell Naman, yeah, Naman, sun lo. Sir, sir, please sun lo. Sir, saath bari bola, chalte hai, sir. Dilli se Hyderabad so I'm not speaking this. If you read the word of God, a servant actually tells Naman, let's go to the river. Now, the Bible says he took seven times dip. The first six times, you try to look into the commentary, it doesn't say when he came out the first time, the finger skin was restored. When he came the second time, the second finger skin was restored. No, no, even Namnese International Bible doesn't say this, okay? So it, it doesn't happen like that. But when he did the seventh time, the Bible says his skin became as, as, as that of a child. I want to tell you, church, it's not about what your eyes see, but it's about what God says. And I want you right now, if you close your eyes and you see the things which are around you, the challenges which are around you, some of you may be having some pressing needs, 
get onto Psalm 23 and read verse 1 where it says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. That's what God says. Some of us may be thinking that we are surrounded by people who wants to let us down, who wants to bring us down. Continue reading Psalm 23 where it says, my Lord will prepare a table in the presence of my enemies and he will anoint my head with oil. Some of you may be thinking that it's a medical report which may be knocking your doors. Well, again, read Psalm 23 where it says, even though I walk through the valley of shadows of death, Lord, I will have no fear because you are with me. Some of you may be feeling fatigued. Open Isaiah 40 and read. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. Some of you may be thinking that the situations around them are too overwhelming. Read Isaiah 43 where it says when you walk through waters, they will not drown you. When you walk through fires, they will not burn you. And as you keep reading that, it speaks your God knows you by name. What else I want God that when you call me, you don't call me mister, you don't call me are sunna, but you call me by name. That's what God says. Do we accept what God says or do we believe in what our eyes tell us? Sometimes if you are lonely, get across to the book of Hebrews chapter 13 where it says, I will not leave you or forsake you. The Lord is my helper. I want to tell you church, it's important for us. The choice is ours whether we understand the use of this strategic weapon or strategic truth from the Bible, or we don't understand the truth of, or we don't embrace this truth. I need to sit with the word of God. I need to take promises which are for me. I need to embrace those promises because the work begins when Christ speaks. The miracles start happening when the word gets spoken. It may take time, but it's not far. There will be a time when the dawn will come, when the first light of sun will come, and that's what the word says. It's not what you see that matters, but it's what God says that matter. Let's get to the third strategic truth from the Bible, which I want to bring out to you. And this is, it's not what you feel, but it's what you confess that matters. Now, I by any chance don't want to bring out to you that we should not express our feelings. If the reason why we, why we so, why we start, why we enjoy reading the Psalms is because the authors of the Psalm have expressed their feelings very openly to the Lord. I was reading Psalm 13, and if you read, if you read Psalm 13, the first four verses, the first four statements there are, how long, how long will you take God to remember me? How long will you take God my enemies persecute me. How long will you take God? Four times David writes the word, how long? He is expressing and pouring out his heart. But in the last verses of Psalm 13, the same David who begins writing that Psalm in the lowest of his spirit comes to a point where he says, I will put my hope in your steadfast love, O God. Lord, I will put my hope in you. When you express your feelings, don't allow your feelings to take you into a negative spiral but in the middle of that pain open your lips with confessions where you can hold on to the promises and the love of the Lord open your lips with thankfulness and praises when you read in the book of Hebrews 13 
it says, and one of the songs which we sing, it says, we bring sacrifices of praise unto the house of the Lord. And if you read this sentence, you say, Lord, how can praise and sacrifice both be at the same time? Because sacrifice will generally be associated with pain. But this is where if you meditate on this very verse, the Lord is trying to speak to you that you may be in pain, but yet open your lips to sing praises unto the Lord. Not just in the worship time here, even when you are driving back, even when you come across challenges, even when you see that things are not happening the way you think they should happen, even if when your prayers are not getting answered the way you think they have to be answered. Open your lips because what you confess makes a difference. The Bible speaks in the book of James chapter 3 that the tongue is like a rudder. It gives an example of a ship and says a huge ship, but the direction of the ship is controlled by the rudder. And it compares that rudder with the tongue and says, same is your tongue. What you speak is the way your life will get directed. And sometimes we try to confess things which are negative. We speak things which are totally negative and we get into the negative spiral. But the third strategic weapon, what is important for us is, it's not how you feel, but it's what you confess that matters. How you feel, pour it out to the Lord. But when you pour it out to the Lord, end that feeling, trying to speak praises unto the Lord, thankfulness to the Lord, reinforcing your trust in the Lord, reinforcing that he still sits on the throne, reinforcing that he's a God who heals, reinforcing that he is a God whose ears are still attentive to your cry, reinforcing that he's a God who watches over your going and coming. When you, when you speak these things out of your lips, it is that is what will direct your life. When you look at the entire thing, what I've shared today, I've just given you three strategic truths of the Bible which can help you to shun away darkness which can help you to fight battles, maybe by aggressively or just by possessing these weapons or possessing these truths and embracing these truths in your life. The first thing I said, it's not the righteousness which you get from the law that matters. It's the imputed righteousness when you understand the meaning. Read through Matthew 5, it's a long chapter. Read through Romans 1.16. Read through Romans 3, 21, 22. Read through Galatians 2, 21. Read through 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Understand what is imputed righteousness and receive in your life. Look and hunger and thirst for imparted righteousness that I want to be like you, Christ. Get into your identity. Read through Ephesians 1. Read through Romans 8, verse 14 onwards. Read through Galatians, Galatians 4 and you will understand what it means to have the adoption, the spirit of adoption that I am a child of God. Lord, I am precious in your sight. I am precious in your sight, God. The second thing which I shared with you, not what your eyes says. Read through Mark 11. Read through Joshua 6. Read through 2 Kings 5 and understand. It's not your feelings, but what you confess Read through James 3, what you speak and utter out of your lips will be the reason for giving direction to your life. Learn to bring sacrifices of praise unto the house of the Lord. 
pour out your hearts but draw your joy from the lord and live in joy as you live the year 2021 let's bow our heads in prayer father god we just want to thank you thank you father that you are a god who cares for us father i pray that you minister to your people lord lord your word lord reaches down to the bottom of their hearts and spirit lord speak to them master speak to them lord father you have spoken to me personally through this card i thank you protect this church put your angels around this lord let this place overflow lord we see with our eyes let this place branch out to several other fellowships caseels lord in this city thank you thank you lord thank you bless all in jesus name we pray amen thank you thank you for taking time to listen if you would like more information about our church or would like to make a comment please mail us at info at newlifeag.in. God bless you.